The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Today, we got a guest here. He's not your average physician. He's the real-life Dr. McDreamy. With an IMDb page that would rival George Clooney himself, and when he's not prescribing medicine, you might find him delivering lines on the big screen. We have Dr. Roy Vongtama here, board-certified radiation oncologist, and we're talking all about the mindset, the healing journey from recovery, from illness, of all the stuff that goes on, the inside game of things, and how we can influence that. So without further ado, welcome, Dr. Roy. Hold your station, this education is relevant. The motivation through conversation is evident. We talk in spiritual body, mind, development. This is the manhood experiment. Before we continue, we need your help. We'd like to reach more like-minded people just like you and share our knowledge on personal growth, health, and success. So can you do us a favor and in your podcast app, hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star review and leave us an encouraging comment. Do it right now while you listen to this episode. That will help us know you're listening and that you care and a little action will help us reach more folks. Now back to our show. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Manhood Experiment. Today, like always, we have a special episode, but this one is extra special. We got a guest here. He's not your average physician. He's the real-life Dr. McDreamy. And with an IMDb page that would rival George Clooney himself, and when he's not prescribing medicine, you might find him delivering lines on the big screen shooting jays or you know scoring three-pointers just like a, a casual Sunday afternoon. But uh, I'm really excited. We have Dr. Roy Vongtama here, board-certified radiation oncologist and is lifestyle medicine physician as well. But just a really interesting individual who I'm excited to pick his brain and we get to hear from a really unique perspective on a current state of health, mental health, and touch on his amazing book, Healing Before You're Cured. We're talking all about the mindset, the healing journey from recovery, from illness, of all the stuff that goes on, the inside game of things, and how we can influence that. So without further ado, welcome, Dr. Roy. How you doing? Yo, what's up, Jay Dragon? This is our Vizzle. How's it going, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's good to be here, bro. Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, for those of you who, who are watching, you know, we got our hip hop stage names, you know, J-Dragon, <laughs> T-Rex over here. I let Roy know it's mandatory that he's got to drop a name. And so we got Roy Fizzle in the house. Maybe he'll drop a little drop a little flow for us. Maybe later on, man. There. Maybe later yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll break the ice first. But yeah, I'm super thrilled. Thank you for taking the time. We've been trying to set this up for yeah. months and you genuinely have an incredibly busy schedule with traveling saving the world, making the world a better place, entertaining place. I think you got married recently. Yes, I did. So a lot of exciting changes that I'm excited to dive into, uh, especially just overall, just the proactive approach that you take with health. And I think it's a treasure here, a gift that we get to speak with a physician that is behind the scenes of so much going on. And we get to hear some of the steps that we can take 
hopefully before yes before it comes out of a fear-based state or we have to make those types of changes dude that's amazing i i love that you just started with the fear base because i i really think right now especially in our country our main issue is fear it's fear yep. we have so much yep. uncertainty we have so many stressors going on from obviously things that are outside of our control and things that are inside of our control. And that's kind of like my main thing I'm looking at for myself right now. Like what is within my control? I love it. If you start to focus your mind on all these things that are outside of control, like Gaza, Ukraine, all these things, mass murders, you put your mind on these things. Mm -hmm. Guess what? This is shown in the literature. You don't have control. You start to develop what's called learned helplessness. So this is kind of going back to some of the research I did when I was at University of Pennsylvania with Dr. Mark yeah. Seligman. He really looked at this and UPenn was always big about this concept of you got to look at the things that you can use in your control. Mm -hmm. And why is that important? Because we have to know that we can have a force, have outcome, use our willpower in an area. And if we don't have that in our lives, guess what happens? You start to feel helpless. You start to feel anxiety. You start to feel fear. And that's the root is what you said, you know, coming from fear. And guess what? That fear leads to disease. If you want mm. to break it down right to the bottom, that's the real deal. And I'm not speaking out of just intuition. I'm speaking out of science. You know, I, I want to touch on that it's for the listeners really here, because I mean, I'm extremely fascinated with that as well. I think there's a lot of people you can put on your mask or your armor or walk around with this positive mm -hmm. mindset, but this inside game of how yeah. we are, whether we're tolerating it or however we are digesting, you know, all this craziness. And I think some people are holding all of this within, but yes. explain, like you said that it can create disease. And I, I hear that term where people break down like dis-ease dis in the body. And I think yeah. it helps people understand that better, but like Let's just give an example of how it affects systemically the, your health or your system. Okay. I'll tell you, let's get right to the basic of it. So, you know, I have the book Healing Before You Cured, which you mentioned. Since that time, I've really, really even gone deeper with the concept. So let's go real basic. Let's go right with our breath. Mm -hmm. When you have, when, you, when you're ill, when you're stressed, when you have fear, your heart rate goes up, your breathing rate goes up, right? So... If you want to look at disease that way, if you look at people who are stressed out all the time, they have this higher breathing rate, okay? Mm -hmm. And we call them vital signs. When you come in, we check your vital signs, and yet we just bypass that now when you come in. Yeah. We're trying to get you CT scans, MRIs, but guess what? The basis is the vital, the vital mm -hmm. signs. And if you look at the main one, one of them is breathing, okay? If you look at research now and you look at breathing, you can see the impact of your breath on stress. So... We have these cell phones, right? You look at them right now. Like I just happen to look and one of the settings is how many unlocks I have. You know, I go, what? I can track my unlocks? Okay. Oh, wow. So, which is crazy. And I looked the other day, I had like 155. And I was like, what? I didn't look at my phone that much. And that was just the time I unlocked it, right? But the amount of stuff coming in just from that little thing, the world is in this thing, right? So Let's look at that breath thing again. So if you come in and you're coming into my clinic, which is a cancer clinic, a lot of times, your heart rate and your breath rate are, everything's off because you're coming to see the doctor anyway. So on an average, I would look and see someone in their 18 to 20 breaths per minute range. Okay. Now let's get right to experiential because I don't, I don't like when people talk about just things you can't use, but you can control your stress level just by reducing the amount of breaths you take per minute. 
Okay, so what number, even right now? Okay, even that, even that moment that we don't take anymore because we're we're pushing so hard for everything, right? So if I'm looking at 18 to 20 is my average breath per minute person coming in with cancer, what do I want them at? I want them at six. to 6. And this is Mm. validated research. So like you, you're sitting there, T-Rex, you're sitting there and you guys are just, okay, I'm stressed out. What do I do? Immediately look at the number of breaths you're taking. So that's every 10 seconds, just one breath. And it's not a deep breath. Okay. It's actually less deep. It's actually just slower. So it's... Mm. What does that do? Because, okay, you only need five and a half. You need actually less breaths than that to actually have the 100% oxygen in your body. And if you look at athletic research too, you'll see that people who are forced to breathe out of their nose and breathe slower, they actually perform better. If you look at runners. So kind of take this out into the field, everybody. You're listening right now. You're in the car or wherever you are, you're listening. Check your breaths right now. Try to get six a minute. That's basically one every 10 seconds. What are you doing? If you're breaking it down biologically, you're looking to normalize your sympathetic parasympathetic ratio. By breathing fast, you're cueing to your body. You need to breathe faster. You don't have time to breathe. Okay. So you want to tell your body that you have time to breathe. No matter what situation you're in, you're fighting with your wife. You're fighting with your buddy. You're looking at your finances. You're looking at the war. You're looking at all these things. I don't care what it is. It's outside of you. You don't have control over most of that, especially not your wife. You, so you want to take into the basic of it, which is your breath. Okay. So that's what I do when I'm in the room with patients now. If they come in, I see them with a breathing that's elevated. If they're over 20, immediately, I just start there. I'm like, hey, look, let's just breathe. Wow. And they'll be like, wait, where did you train? You know, I'm here for cancer. I'm like, no, I'm here for cancer too. I'm here for cancer too. It's just that wow. I want to get you healthy right now. And this is the number one way that I think we all bypass as Americans, especially we were pushing so hard. And a lot of that pushing comes from breathing. Wow. Roy, I was now going to ask you, as you speak about that and the breathing and your background, could you give us a little bit about your background and how you integrate both your Western medicine and Eastern philosophies? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. So I grew up, it comes right back to my childhood too. So my family's Buddhist. I had a lot of monks coming around our house because we lived near Niagara Falls and they would need a place to stay. So they used to stay with our family. Side note, they'd always ask the first, what's the first question to your ex that a monk asks when they come into your stay in your house? Pop quiz. Um, I don't know. I don't. Jason, what did they ask you? Um, Shoot, man. Where's the meditation room? Yeah. Ooh, very close. It is. Exactly. Uh-huh. Who here meditates? Yeah. Wow. Why they ask? Because they want to know where you are. They want to know if you're not meditating, then you're kind of in a different place. So my dad would always answer, we don't meditate, but we donate a lot of money. <laughs> and they would laugh. You know, they don't care. They're not there to judge. That's the Buddhist philosophy is non-judgment, yeah. right? Acceptance. So, so they wouldn't judge. But now... Now we're coming into what I follow now. I follow a yogic path. So I follow a guru in his Paramahansa Yogananda. In his book, he's on the cover. So I had it at home. And so now my dad saw it. And then a monk came to stay at our house. And they asked who here meditates. And my dad said, 
my son, but he's a Hindu. I said, I said, okay, dad, I'm not a Hindu. I'm a yogi. He goes, it's the same thing. I saw the woman on your book. You know, I'm like, okay, it's not a woman. It's a, it's a, it's a guy. He's long hair. Anyway, let's just go. Let's go to Niagara Falls, you know? So, but coming back to the, the yogic path, a lot of that I've integrated into the book that I wrote, Healing Before You're Cured, because look, this knowledge that we're talking about, everybody who's talking about health is talking about the same knowledge. It's the same body. It's the same system. So whether you're talking about yogic philosophy, which is thousands of years old, or we're talking about the physical system where I'm coming from, which is hundred something, few hundred years old, it's the same system. So my theory was always this, like you have 6,000 years of knowledge, $6 billion, $6 trillion of research, you put them together, you put them together. So that's, that's mm -hmm. how I got to mm -hmm. see like that. Because also uh, T-Rex, my parents are both doctors. So I saw mm -hmm. what was missing in Western medicine. I saw what was missing and all throughout my training and throughout my own journey, I really found that you have to have both sides. You have to have this Eastern sense of inner and the Western sense of the outer, because it's good to eat really healthy. It's also good to get a colonoscopy, right? Mm -hmm. They both work. Mm -hmm. And why do you need to just eat healthy and say, I don't need a colonoscopy? And why do you need to get a colonoscopy and say, I can eat whatever I want? Mm -hmm. They both don't make any sense. Yeah. So I like that. And I like to think that generally as a population, we're starting to wake up and, and tune into that. I think there was a time and a place where it was, like you said, as one or the other right. Western medicine just wants to lead with that. And like you said, people come into your office and it's just kind of the stereotype of the name it and tame it. And people are rarely taking time to sit down and really get to know this person's system and circumstantially, like what got them to this place where they're at. And I think that obviously the best has to be utilize the tools that we have because they obviously are saving lives, mm -hmm. but get the most out of them by taking care of our environment. Yes. the best that we can. I think there's so many people that don't even have, there's just a lack of conscious yes. or awareness that they have that ability. And it's something that it needs to be taught in schools. Obviously it needs to be taught yes. in the families that don't have, you know, monks dropping by and knocking on their door. <laughs> you know, how do we get that out there? And I think that that's something that I wanted to get your opinion on is outside of the fear, which we're talking about right now. Yeah. Like generally, how do we make this sexy? How do we make it like you're seeing guys like Andrew Huberman making their way? They're kind of making science sexy. Yes. I think that you have that same type of gift and power. But I mean, do you have anything to say to that? Yeah. And I think it comes right back to what you said. When we're talking about fear, we really have to have courage. So you have to look at the opposite of that. So courage, like if you want to go with movies, because I'm an actor as well, like my one of my favorite movies is Braveheart. That's really yeah. what we really need. You need to have a brave heart. And, yeah. and I, what do I mean by that? I mean, but you have to you have to choose to have the courage to be not positive, but actually come from a place of really real integrity. I'm using a lot of words, but let's look at it real clearly. Like when you have a feeling inside of you, you feel like things are right. You feel like things are in the flow. You know, when you have that flow state going on, when you have that inner place, you have a couple of things that are basic. You're well rested. You have control over your environment like you spoke about. A lot of that and you have your breathing right and i spend a lot of time as you know i spend a lot of time meditating i've been doing about i don't know average I, and also i'm also track everything okay so it's not okay for me as a scientist to say that i do certain things and not know exactly what i'm doing so i actually track everything so i track amount of meditation amount of sleep all these things because you can see exactly what you're actually doing right 
So if you're looking in that way, we're looking at breath, we're looking at amount of meditation, we're looking at, you know, what you're eating, how much you're sleeping, then you can see what's actually going on. And when you can yeah. see what's going on, you can make changes. But unless you track, I think you know this, J-Drag, from your work with nutrition, it's I may have a new nickname for you, J-Drag. I like it. So I you like got to wear a I'll wig next it. time. So um, <laughs> you got to, you know... If you look at if you look at people trying to lose weight and trying to get in shape, the main thing they have to do is track where they're at, you know, and then you can change it from there. But if you don't know what they're doing, then you can't help them. And that you don't need a coach to do that. You need yourself. So yeah. like, like every night, one of the most important things is to write down exactly what you did that day. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, you can write down what I use is a gratitude. I use gratitude as my basis. I write down five things. I call them five stars a day write down five things that I am grateful for, or I was grateful for in that day, because guess what? Your body doesn't know the difference between the first experience and the experience you're having now. So if you mm -hmm. saw a hummingbird earlier today and it made you happy to see the hummingbird at night, when you go back and put that hummingbird back into your experience again, your body mm -hmm. doesn't know the difference. So you're, you're firing your memory to help you, right? So you're doing both. You're looking at what maybe didn't go well and what went well, and at the same time, putting these feelings of gratitude from experience that actually happened to you and replaying them again for yourself. So think about going to bed like that. Okay. What did you do? What didn't you do? And the gratitude of these things that actually are real, you know, mm -hmm. this is cool. So I want to go back to something. I'm, okay. So we have board certified physician practicing physician in here, and this is rare that you hear somebody talking like this, maybe because of fear of criticism, maybe from colleagues or, mm -hmm. or so on, just because it doesn't all sound like specific science. And I've been fortunate to know you for, gosh, I don't know, five, six years or so. And I remember the first time I met you, you had told me that you meditate twice a day. And I was thinking like, how do you, how do you out of all people have time to meditate twice a day? Because it's so easy to be caught up in this world of yes. you getting pulled one way and you, you wake up late for the day already. And it's something that I heard, you know, there's a quote by the Dalai Lama, something like on days where he has more to do, he meditates more so he can get right. more out of himself. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering that idea, but I wanted to do a couple of things. So first of all, we come out of the gate talking about meditation. And I think there's a stereotype around that and, and mm -hmm. yoga and, mm -hmm. and a lot of things like how do you simplify when you're explaining it to people that have a stereotype? Obviously, it's gaining a lot more popularity. I think more and more people have sure. some of these free meditation apps. But when we talk about meditation, like how do you simplify it and put it across in, in a way that people can grasp? Dude, I'm not even going to talk about it. Let's do it right now. So just like when I come in with a patient with cancer, I ask them, do you want to learn how to meditate? That's the first thing. The mind gets in there. Like, yeah, I would like to learn. Okay. What did they say? I don't have time for it. Okay, let me give you a little anecdote. So I just saw a lady last two weeks ago, she runs five different LLCs. She had breast cancer. And I, I said to her, let's start with breathing. She goes, I don't have time to breathe. And then she immediately said that. And the nurse looked at me and I go, okay, hold on a second. And the nurse started laughing. She, and the patient's like, why are you laughing? She's like, he's about to tell you something. I'm like, okay, I want you to hear what you just said. You don't have time to breathe. Why do you think you're here? Why do you think you got cancer? Like, I'm not going to see you again. I was actually covering a friend's practice. I'm like, I'm not going to see you again. So I'm going to speak to you really clearly right now. You just told me you don't have time to breathe. Why do you think you're alive? And she goes, well, I mean, my husband owns companies. I, I'm just running them for, for him. And I'm, I just, I don't have time. For, I'm like, okay, 
guess who's not going to be able to run their companies if you pass away? You, right? So just that little anecdote, I immediately turn to patients. And if you're ready to breathe, you're ready to learn. I can teach you in one minute how to meditate. It's real simple. I can teach you guys right now. Okay, let's do it. You do. Okay, let's, let's go. Let's do it. Here we go. So you can do it sitting down. Ideally, you'd be sitting down. If you're not, I'm standing up. So you're going to close your eyes. You're going to lift your gaze a little bit. And you're going to inhale, a double inhale, and tense the whole body. Inhale. Tense the whole body. Exhale and relax. Inhale. Tense the whole body. Exhale and relax. Inhale, last time. Tense the whole body, including the face, everything, hands, things. Exhale and relax. Keep your gaze up. Let your breath come of itself. You open your eyes. There, you just meditated. How do you feel? Right? It's calm. I feel peaceful. Yeah. Feel, yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah. Very nice. So access is really that simple. What do we do? I glad you close your eyes, shut off from the external world, raise your gaze. Raising the gaze moves you away from the material plane. I had you inhale deeply, tense the whole body. Your body doesn't know how to relax, right? But it knows how to tense. So we use it against itself because it's always looking to go to homeostasis, always looking to get back to normal. So if we make you tense and exhale and relax, we're using the breath, the body, tension for itself to relax itself, right? Well, how do you feel? Yeah. First of all, I kind of just started talking. I feel like it was a little mini reset button. Yes. Yeah, it felt like that. I stopped thinking about anything else, which I think there's some value in that with a busy mind that is thinking about what's going on next you know, yes. thinking into the future. So I think there's a lot of value to that. Hey, listeners, this is Big Dreams. And I just wanted to take a moment to thank you all for listening to today's episode of The Manhood Experiment. Please follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Manhood Experiment. There, you'll find the latest giveaways and some very funny behind the scene moments. Now, back to the show. I want to touch on, okay, so when it comes to meditation, how long, and I, I'm someone who I try to practice meditation. I don't like yeah. that word try. I understand the value in it. I never regret it. Yes. Maybe I, I tried a longer meditation and maybe I didn't love it as much as another one. But for somebody who's newer to this idea, I want two things. So let's compare analogy to meditation to a superpower. So what is that superpower giving you? And like how long does meditation have to be? Yeah. So meditation is a superpower. Meditation is superpower, obviously the longer the better. But if you look at the research, seven minutes twice a day, 90 minutes a week has shown to be the point where anxiety and well, anxiety goes down and the sense of well-being goes up. And there's multiple studies showing this. I'm quoting ones for cancer right now. But if you look at look at that 90 minutes a week, whether it's a one time sit with a guided meditation, that's 90 minutes. I tend to teach people to do seven minutes, set a timer. Just do it twice a day. So going back to, do you have time? You know, you have time for what you put first. Mm -hmm. And if you put that first, then you will do it. So you literally could get up out of your bed, sit up, 
Inhale, intense. Exhale, relax. Raise your eyes, close your eyes. Set the timer seven minutes. You got it done. You're in. You started off in a really good place, you know? I just wanted listeners to hear that again. You have time for what you put first. That's yes. a good quote. It's also coming from Roy, who unlocked his phone 124 times. <laughs> 155. I probably did 100, 155. I probably did 180 times. Uh. And we have to make time. And that's why I want to relate it to a superpower. I think the connection, I know there's a connection, like physiological, the effect that it can have on like blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Do you have any studies or anything that you can relate to just yeah. blood pressure and hypertension? Yes. So yeah, absolutely. Those are actually the ones that's looked at the most for blood pressure and anxiety. That's the things that have been regulated the most and seen. Now, the issue I have with the studies is a lot of them are guided. Like you have mm -hmm. somebody helping you through it. The problem with what, not the problem, but a lot of what we do in our lives now is self-guided, right? So no one's going to do a 90 minute meditation on their own once a week, but you do seven minutes twice a day. That's, oh, yeah. that's 96. You can do that. You know, you have, okay, say you slept eight hours, which I didn't, which I probably neither of you did. Let's just say if you did and you got like a nice sleep, you have 16 hours. Okay. That's mm -hmm. 16 minutes mm -hmm. in those 16 hours. You can't, you tell me you can't get seven minutes out of 16 hours for yourself to have yourself set that actually is proven to help you. And you're asking me why you have fear. You're asking me why you're sick. You're asking me why you, you know, I have cancer or I have high blood pressure. Or I have diabetes or man, because you can't even take seven minutes for yourself, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm not even, you can call it meditation, yeah, whatever you want to call it. You know, I just got back from Greece and they think that word's evil. The Greek Orthodox, they don't like that really? word. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to meditate in a chapel. Granted, it was a very holy one for the Greek Orthodox, but I got tapped on the shoulder by an Orthodox monk. He goes, no yoga, no wow. yoga, only prayer, no yoga. Wow. Let me wow. show you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I was like, wow. And my wife was sitting next to me and she got really upset. I actually was like, wow, this guy really believes what he's talking about. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. this guy. Then he was trying yeah. to take a selfie outside later. I took it for him. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so it's, it's one of these things like we have to make time for it and you want to call yeah. it whatever you want to call it. Get that, all that stuff out of the way. It's your mm -hmm. body. It's breathing. Yeah. I want to pivot a little bit. And we spoke about meditation, like gratitude, breathing exercises. You have a very interesting model in your book. Mm -hmm. The four pillars. Mm -hmm. Four houses of health, yeah. Yeah, the four houses, yeah. And you show how each of them are integrated. Could you speak a little bit about that, the high level for sure. the listeners? So four houses of health is physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And why I broke them down that way is because we have all four of those inside of us. And they all are interconnected. And if you look at the research, they all, in their own way, lead to disease and also in their own way lead to health. The one that I think for the manhood experiment, I think is important is actually the emotional house mm. because we don't live there as men, right? We're really looking, I don't, you know, depends what you want to call man gender wise, but we're leading with our heads a lot of time. We're leading, we're leading with our mind. We have goals. We're pushing this way. Objectives. Yeah. We're skipping the heart. You know, mm -hmm. if you look at the data and a lot of us look on three of us on this podcast, if you look on the research on trauma. One of us three will have significant childhood trauma, the adverse childhood experiences. One of us three will have had them and probably one out of three of us will have more than one. So if you look at the data on that level, you have to look at that emotional house. You have to look at it because guess what? 
it leads to cancer, it leads to diabetes, it leads to heart disease, it leads to sexual promiscuity, it leads to higher suicides rate, all these things because of this trauma, because you didn't look at it, you know? Mm -hmm. And now if you're hearing this for the first time, please look it up, Adverse Childhood Experiences, you'll see it's called ACEs, or you can look at my book. It doesn't matter to me which way you do it, but you have to explore this topic because it leads to health. It leads to health for you to look at it. So physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. We already talked about spiritual. We talked about meditation. We talked mm -hmm. about the mind. We talked about controlling what comes in and what comes out of our mind. Physical, you guys cover that a lot, you know, I'm sure. A physical health, nutrition, sleep, all of that, and exercise. But the one that's skipped for men is emotional. Mm. And I guess what? When I talk to cancer patients that are men, that's the one thing they do not want to look at. Yeah. They will look at nutrition like... Show me, show me the numbers on nutrition, show me the numbers on sleep. But yeah, the emotional is the house that is neglected. No, and I think that's fascinating because just today I got on Facebook and saw a good friend of mine from school who her husband just passed away. They didn't, mm. I guess he had been fighting cancer for that was reoccurring for oh, over man. a year and they didn't tell anybody. And I'm Sorry looking at that. this guy and he looked like the poster child of health. I mean, like mm -hmm. super healthy, really positive, exuberant guy. And I was just thinking, like, one, I mean, obviously it could have been all kinds of circumstantial, unique situations, but I think it's just a reminder of, I have no idea what was going on behind the scenes yeah. in this guy's head. Yeah. And I can say from someone who, you know, I openly experienced trauma growing up, you just want to put this off. I think I buy into the idea that we want to talk about it, but where I'm going with this <laughs> is like talking about doing the work. Like you, you talked about exploring it. Like yeah. when you say explore it, Outside of speaking with a therapist, mm -hmm. what do you mean when it comes to whether it's doing the work or exploring? Great question. Great question. Yeah. So that's beautiful because in our lives, we already have a lot of things that you want to use the word trigger. We have a lot of things that trigger us. So when I talk about a trigger from my background in psychology, I'm looking to look for in myself a mushroom. I call them a mushroom. It's an emotional reaction that is out of sync with the actual event that is occurring. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is why look introspection is so important. So say if let's use road rage, I get cut off by a car, I flip out at this guy. Number one, I don't know him. Okay. I made it personal. I went from zero to a hundred about somebody cutting me off. So what really just happened? A car got in front of me, right? Mm -hmm. And I put on my brake. Okay. Right. But my reaction was was way off. So I immediately go, okay, well, and this is what I mean looking at the emotional house. Like, okay, well, what is that actually? That is me losing control, okay? But losing control of the situation. I thought things were under control. Somebody just changed my control and maybe could have yeah. killed me, okay? So you have to, like, some people don't have road rage. And I would guarantee you that most people who do have some trauma in there because mm -hmm. you got to put into a situation of danger in that moment and you didn't know what to do so your body reacted out of fear right so this kind of comes full circle on our conversation so immediately how do you work on that emotional house right there maybe you can't control that reaction you can't control that you start smashing you know slamming on your horn at this guy okay you had your reaction you have to go right back to the breath go to the five under six breaths a minute right away okay and then your mind is going to be saying something to you, right? Then you have to, second step is you are not your mind. So what I actually say in my head, like 
this is what happens when people try to meditate too. He's like, oh, my mind's going a thousand miles a minute. I'm like, well, yeah, it was doing that before we meditated. It wasn't like you just started thinking when you started meditating, you've been thinking the whole time. You're just aware of it. So in that moment of a trigger, you also just say, okay, let's go with the breath. I'm not this mind. Your mind is a pattern of neuronal circuits that you've created a habit in. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. So you're in this pattern. It's probably old. It's probably an old pattern from something long ago. So what I say is you just pull yourself back off because you can't do that without the breath, though, right? So that's why I start with the breath. Pull yourself out and let your mind think what it thinks. You're not this mind. Stop putting energy into your mind. That's the basic mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. So can you do this? You have to practice because you need to create a yeah. new habit. The new yeah. habit isn't to dive right into the mind to come through the circuit of, ah, oh, I'm, I'm going to catch up to him. I'm going to do that. Da, 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 da. You know, like whatever your mind's saying, you have to like, look, you have to make a choice. You have to use willpower to code a different circuit. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing you can do right away. And it's not about road rage. It could be anything. Your wife could come in. I know I keep talking about my wife, but hey, we can talk about that all day. <laughs> yeah. Say you asked her to clean something and she didn't do it. You know, you have, you know, immediately you have this emotional reaction about the thing and you have to be like, okay, you know, let me go back to my breath. You know, can we find a place of compassion in a new scenario of thinking? That's another practice to do is we can, we're really good with coming up with reasons why we can blame people and we can make it really personal, but can you come up with a reason that's compassion? I love that because it's using your breath as a pattern interrupt. Mm -hmm. And I love that. You also, as we're on the topic of emotions, and this is something that I feel when I read your book, it resonated with me. You spoke about deep healing Mm -hmm. and there was questions you ask about your father, your mother, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. your current relationships. Could you talk a little bit more about that uh, as it relates to that deep healing, especially for men? Yeah, that's great, T-Rex. The section in your book you're talking about is just an introspection question session where you get to explore what you have from a trauma relationship with your family. So that's a question I ask in clinic when I see a cancer patient and when I realize they want to get into actually healing themselves, I'll be like, do you have any trauma in your life? Actually, I ask it generally to make it less confronting. I say, how's your relationship with your parents? Mm-hmm. How's your relationship with your, are you married now? You know, do you have relationships now? How is your childhood growing up? And generally you'll hear the answers that are really quickly. Like one guy goes, oh, my relationship, my parents is great. I don't speak with them anymore. <laughs> you know? So, okay. That's one. There's a lot to unpack there. Actually, that's a real answer. That's I a got. lot to unpack there. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. So that's, that's a classic guy answer, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. speak to them anymore. Everything's great. Well, like I have a friend, he decided not to be, this just happened during the pandemic. He decided not to be friends with me anymore. And it was a decision he made. I don't know why, because he won't speak to me. Right. But it really, really hurt me. Yeah. And my other friend was like, why? It's good he's out of your life. That's a very man. That's a very man, man yeah. answer. It's, like, it's good he's out of your life. He didn't want to be in your life. Sure. But you're telling me to bypass 35 years of a relationship, hmm. you know? So what is the answer there? The answer in coming back to what you asked, T-Rex, is like, go through these relationships that you think you've settled. Hmm. If you have settled them, you can answer the question. 
And the answer, if it's your parents, the answer has to be, yeah, I don't talk to my mom. It was pretty devastating. I went through it. I've got through it. And now I'm at peace with who she is and who I am in a short way, right? That's the, that, that's the only real answer that actually works, whatever words you want to use. So it's using these questions in the book, asking the right questions about the relationships that are primary in your life and understanding why they are the way they are, accepting them. But even more so, I think for guys, is mourning the things you lost, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning them. So go back to my friend who doesn't speak to me anymore. I, I kept texting him. I said, what's going on? He actually cut out two of us. So I called him. I go, yo, what's going on? I don't use his name. I was like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. You know? And so we were like exchanging pictures and like, dude, we have to send him the pictures. We sent him these yeah. pictures. And, and I was just really sad. I, I was talking to my wife. I'm like, I don't know what I did. You know? So what I'm talking about, I started mourning this thing. Because I started bargaining. I started sending him pictures. That's called bar, right? Mourning has a bunch of stages. Anger, resentment, yeah. denial, bargaining, all these things. This is almost a separate podcast, actually. But yeah, if you look at these stages of mourning, there's a lot of things we've lost as men. And we're not looking at those things. So it could be from your childhood, like how I'm asking in terms of cancer. But it could be anything, like coming out of the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. We've lost a lot of stuff. Primary, a lot of it is money, a lot of it is time, a lot of it is freedom, but, but we lost a lot of stuff. Have you actually processed that? Have you actually looked at that, what mm -hmm. you lost? And these are things we can journal, right? Yes. And yeah. so there's actually a journaling institute in Colorado. I follow them. I can't remember the exact name of it, but they have a lot of research coming out of there and journaling, writing down what you're feeling. But I actually don't like journaling for men because we tend mm. to censor what's going on. I like what's mm. called burn pages. So burn pages is you get paper, you write down whatever the F comes out of you, and then you burn it. You're not there I've to read it. I've seen that and heard that. To yeah. me, it's like, but then I'm like getting rid of all these memories, but I'm sure there's something meaningful there with that exercise. No. Well, because you censor, like if you started writing stuff that- That's so true. I journal yes. and I think like just in case somebody else reads exactly. this journal. <laughs> it's so funny. Mm -hmm. I have it right here in front of me too. I'm thinking yeah. about that. Yeah, journaling is great for things you want to go back to, but this isn't the purpose. I mean, I put in my highlight reel of the journal stuff. Of like, <laughs> it's so funny. The purpose of a burn page is to process the emotion. The purpose yeah. is to process emotion. It's not to record your life, you know? Mm -hmm. Man, so this is really big. I don't mean to cut you off. Sure. Here, but like, so when we talk about handling it, doing the work, like logically you could say, hey, yeah, we just need to forgive our parents or forgive our trespassers or get over mm -hmm. this judgment that we have. But like when you say writing what's the difference between me saying well logically i know i should just go this way but compared to actually like writing something down what is that doing to the, your conditioning or wiring yeah there's a kinesthetic value from taking something that's in your mind and putting it out to the world mm. so the value of writing is simply to write mm -hmm. so you writing it down putting it through your hand from your mind through your hand out into the world now it's taken a form You've seen that stuff where people say, oh, if you write down all your goals, you're 50% more likely to achieve them. You know, yeah. you heard all that. That's the usual yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. But it comes from, A, one, does it work for you? Write it down. Try it. Try it. I like burn pages because it lets you go full expression. Full expression. Yeah. yeah. Like if you have a lot of stuff that if you're not writing everything down, then you're protecting against something. You're not getting full expression. 
okay? Whether it's shame, guilt, or fear, which are the three reasons why you wouldn't write something down, right? Those are the only reasons why you would, it's guilt, shame, or fear. That removes that because guess what? As soon as you write it, you're not even going to read it. You're writing it down and then you're burning it or you're shredding it. Shredding, I mean, like if you're a psycho like me, I think you could tape together shredding stuff. So I, mm. I burn it in the, in the, it's burnt. It's in a fireplace. Now yeah. I'm in California, so you got to be careful. You know, you don't want to go outside and burn it in a field. Like, Dr. V told me to burn my burn mages. <laughs> you don't want to do that, but. Yeah. But it needs to go somewhere where you, it can never be found. Mm-hmm. And if it's burnt, you can't find it. So that's why I call it that. But obviously, if you can't burn it, you can shred it. You can tear it up, drop it into six different garbage cans. That's the other way, you know, like multiple garbage, you know, whatever, how craziness. Every guy has their own craziness with this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. you got to just write it, get it down. And let me bring it back real quick to research. So there's a head and neck cancer study, which showed that men that dealt with the anger, expressed anger prior to, on their diagnosis of head and neck cancer, the men who expressed anger did better from the Mm. treatment. They had a higher survival rate, lower recurrence rate. Wow. So there are people looking at this. It's like you're getting a, there's like a weight off of you that you're you're letting go, you're dissolving something that is creating chaos. All you have to do with emotion is to feel it. And if you have some, so immediately, say if you, I told one of you had cancer, you'd be like, okay, treatment's coming up. I'm clear. I'm ready to go. You just bypass the whole thing of you. Your life just changed, Mm -hmm. right? You have to let that happen. Anger is just a part of it. We're talking about mourning a life that you thought you were going to have. That life doesn't exist anymore. You know, just like Mm -hmm. in COVID, there's a lot of that. The life you thought you had doesn't exist anymore. You have yeah. to mourn that, that pattern or whatever, that two and a half years that you thought you're going to have, you don't have them. Mm-hmm. So you got to have to, you got to do that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, y'all. Exciting things. Dr. V, thank you for diving into going deep to doing the work. We want to continue this going. So we're going to pick up with part two, dive in. I got some fun questions. I want to hear some lessons that you've learned from your patients over this last few years with the pandemic and everything that's going on and how we define health along with taking some inventory. So until next time, thank you for tuning in to the Manhood Experiment. Boom. Nice. Hey, what's up? This is Big Dreams. Thank you for checking out today's episode of the Manhood Experiment. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and give us five stars. Not only does your feedback matter, but it helps us to connect with others just like you that find value in our weekly episodes. So subscribe, share, and speak with your friends and family about today's episode. And most importantly, take care of yourself, keep growing, and join us again on the next episode of The Manhood Experiment.